In this episode of the ASN Kidney News Podcast, ASN speaks with Michelle Josephson, chair of the ASN Transplant Advisory Group, and William Applegate, lobbyist for the American Society of Transplantation. In recognition of World Kidney Day 2012, they speak about immunosuppressive drugs and legislation to extend anti-rejection drug therapy. Dr. Josephson, why do patients need to take immunosuppressive drugs? It really has to do with our immune system and basically how our immune system recognizes self and other. And so when patients get a transplant, that tissue is is really seen as foreign, as other, and our immune system is really very good at realizing that this is a a foreign entity and consequently mounts uh, quite a response. Both the T cells and B cells are directed against the graft and rejection ensues and the kidney graft may have been transplanted is then destroyed. And so without the immunosuppression, without the ability to control our immune system, naturally our immune system is going to just simply destroy um, the transplant. So this is a, a lifetime obligation that if someone has a transplant, they're going to need immunosuppressive drug coverage for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. Um, And I I just want to sort of confine my remarks to kidney because there are other situations, actually sometimes liver transplant patients can come off immunosuppression, but that's really some specific issues that I I don't think we want to get into in this forum. But anyone who has a kidney transplant, for the life of that kidney transplant, they absolutely need to take immunosuppression. Otherwise, they really do risk rejecting their kidney transplant. And unfortunately, I've seen it happen. Given this background, Mr. Applegate, why did Congress initially provide coverage for one year and then extend it for three years? What's the rationale behind the the three-year cap? Initially, uh, Congress was looking to cover the benefit uh, within transplantation, and I think immunosuppression, unfortunately, is viewed largely as an afterthought. And Dr. Joseph just outlined it was missed by many. So they then went into an incremental mode, and I think it was largely based on so many things are in Congress. It became a financial decision and, and what the appetite, if you will, of Congress was. And so they took, uh, I guess, what they would consider to be baby steps uh, in terms of uh, coverages. And it's been this has been something that's been on the agenda of the, at least the American Society of Transplantation and a large uh, part of the, the renal community as something to back or crawl back uh, from. Uh, for a long time, and certainly in the last 10 years or five sessions in Congress, it's been a a top-tier item. And, of course, it's very difficult to find anybody uh, of the 535 members of Congress to tell you that this is a bad idea. I mean, the the discussions are largely based around um, economics. And, you know, the transplant community, we feel like the economics are actually, you know, on our side when you start looking at dialysis and the costs there. And the fact that that coverage was set in stone early on but as we all know, uh, nothing is ever easy, and uh, trying to um, rearrange those policies to make it a little more cost-effective, cost-efficient, you know, it's been a difficult battle. What are some of the other examples of incremental decision-making by Congress where they, they make an initial decision and then over time they extend coverage? Um, I think in imaging, there's been back and forth in terms of how comprehensive the coverages have been. And uh, there are many benefits that are covered. Then they they back away. They cut that coverage. Once they start cutting, it's very difficult, of course, to to regain the the initial reimbursement. There aren't a a lot of examples similar to this one. 
from a perhaps an ethical perspective. Can you just sort of walk us through the difference um, from a patient perspective if they do not receive the continued coverage and they end up losing their transplantation, sort of what that experience is like from a, from a clinical perspective and an ethical perspective? It's devastating to have gone through a, a kidney transplant operation and to be taking immunosuppression, have a, a good functioning organ, and then all of a sudden to find that you, you don't have the coverage to continue taking your medication. And sometimes to be put in a position of having to make a choice between getting things for the family, providing for their family, and potentially using money that the family might need or might use to buy immunosuppression. I have seen individuals faced with this dilemma who won't talk to their family but make the decision to try to start cutting back on immunosuppression. And because they're either embarrassed or, or don't want to put their family in, the posi- in that position, making a choice for them and to start to cut back or even stop getting their medication and then to come in with an increase in creatinine and uh, kidney dysfunction and biopsy which shows rejection and sometimes irreversible rejection. And it's devastating to that individual, but it's also devastating to their whole family. And then they have to return to dialysis. And that was not necessary if, if the kidney was working and could have continued to work for quite some time. Now, there's several consequences of that certainly in terms of, you know, their their life and their well-being, but also in terms of their longevity because we we know that patients who are on um, dialysis, their survival is not as as good as patients who have kidney transplants. And what's even more concerning is that patients who return to dialysis, their um, survival may be even shorter than patients who never were on, never had a transplant. So losing a kidney transplant is psychologically devastating. It has major consequences in terms of of the individual's health. The uh, truth is that on a year-to-year basis, it it costs the system less for them to continue with the kidney transplant than it, it does for that individual to return to dialysis, which is a more expensive modality. Why does a patient who has a, a failed transplant, when they return to dialysis, why, why are their outcomes likely to be worse? Well, I, you know, I don't know that we know absolutely why their outcomes are worse. It has been looked at, and, and that does seem to be the case. Much of why individuals on or on dialysis die are, are from cardiovascular and complications and infectious disease complications. and. It may just be that having been on such high levels of immunosuppression and having them cut off so quickly has dire consequences. But I, but I don't know that I, I know the answer to that uh, question 100%. One more question in this area, and then and I'd like to shift back to some of the, the policy-related issues. What are the sort of health disparities implications of the current policy that, that if Medicare is only going to cover the, the immunosuppressive drugs for three years, How are those choices made in terms of a person's economic status? I think that's a very good point. I think it does affect different individuals in our society very differently. This policy does affect individuals who have limited coverage, much more so than individuals who might have private insurance that continues to cover or uh, have other resources in the family. And this lack of coverage probably does have uh, health disparities implications because those who 
cannot manage the system quite as well, um, either because of socioeconomic consequences or because of their uh, educational ability to figure out resources and to figure out how to to manage the system are going to find themselves with, with bigger problems. So, Mr. Upgate, you had mentioned the Congressional uh, Budget Office and their role in, in scoring proposed legislation. I have two related questions. The first is, can you provide our audience with a, a thumbnail sketch of, of sort of CBO and how it operates? And then the second question is just to sort of walk us through the last couple of years in, in, in efforts to get this legislation scored in a way that it, it makes sense from an economic perspective. The most basic way to explain the Congressional Budget Office is, in theory, it is a, a nonpartisan body that serves Congress to come up with cost estimates, uh, and obviously everything, and particularly in this political environment, uh, is very important to have the uh, lowest scores as possible. Their job at CBO is to come up with the most statistically valid cost estimates uh, back to Congress. And so the challenges really with CBO over the years have been back-end savings. That is to say, scoring preventative measures, treating something more cheaply up front, more cost-effectively up front, and what are the benefits on the back end. And so all the evidence you know, supports that. I mean, when you look at end-of-life care and the fact that most dollars are spent there, um, that if you can treat something up front, obviously, that's where you want to be. And certainly in this particular case with immunosuppression, that's always been the argument. And as Dr. Josephson was, was saying, I mean, if we can do this and get folks the immunosuppressive drugs they need, they will, you know, in most cases, keep keep the kidney and they won't wind up back on dialysis. And as they say, generally, you know, we're looking at, you know, four times the cost for dialysis than if we just, you know, provided the immunosuppression up front. All that said, so that's a long way of saying that CBO looks only at what it costs walking in the front door. So it's very difficult to get them rationalized to recognize uh, in their scores uh, the real savings. I guess the, the other issue there for Congress and how Congress uses those numbers is, you know, we've got a Congress that 435 members of the House are up for re-election every two years and the Senate every six. So you have members of Congress that also find it difficult uh, to work with numbers beyond year or two. And so all of that is our challenge. I'm struck by your horizon point that Members of Congress are up for re-election either every two years or every six years, and so their their time horizon for any savings is going to be very short. And my assumption is, is, is this sort of legislation, the time horizon has to be much longer. So how do you how do you make that case to someone who's going to be up for re-election this year? Yeah, this might sound a little too um, Pollyannish or naive, but I mean the fact of the matter is, this is the right thing to do. And as as lobbyists and advocates very much consider something like patient immunosuppressive coverage as as what we would call a white hat issue, you know, when members of Congress uh, stick their necks out or put the full uh, their full weight or political will behind something, it generally has to be drawn back to uh, their home states, their congressional district, in the case of the House, and uh, you know what are they delivering back there? And there are a number of reasons why members of Congress become involved in things, and this in particular. It is a wonderful story, and from a press perspective, a media perspective, from a real-life perspective of, of something that's very doable uh, that they can get done, that is the argument. And, you know, even making a general argument like that in most offices, they will tell you we have no problem with what you're saying, and we absolutely would support it. We want your transplant patients to get the, the immunosuppressive drugs that they need, uh, and then, we, you know, it falls back into how do we make this fit 
financially into a bigger package without spilling over. How does the United States and its policies related to immunosuppressive drug coverage compare to the rest of the world? Uh, so I think that that's a very important question to ask because, in fact, if you look around the world, there are a lot of examples of uh, countries that we would consider in many ways similar to us who, who do provide um, lifelong coverage. Just coming to mind, I could think of Australia, Canada, UK, and there are many others. But unfortunately, we're not among that company. So, Mr. Applegate, how does how does that argument play on Capitol Hill when you, when you present them with with articles and with data from other countries, and it shows that, that the United States is unique in the sense that it doesn't provide lifetime coverage? What's the reaction? Well, we've been really pressing that point. The New England Journal of Medicine uh, came out with a, a study uh, not too long ago, an article uh, that, that made that point precisely. That of all the industrialized nations, we are the only that does not provide uh, immunosuppression. It's not lost to anybody on Capitol Hill, but it is not, not enough to carry uh, the day. It certainly helped. That reporter Kevin Sack for the New York Times has been covering transplants for the last probably five or six years and has had a couple very good articles that discuss the economics of this. And uh, it all helps. Uh, but again, we need a package and we need uh, members that are willing to, to, to really press this and, and get it on the president's desk. So we keep edging and nudging forward, but we are all scratching our heads and have been for some time, wondering why this isn't something that uh, the stars don't, don't align. Uh, you know, we've run out of time a couple of different, uh, you know, we've, we've had the bill advancing, moving through committee. There's been hearings over the last 10 years on this, all very positive. And ultimately, you know, Congress either runs out of time or most recently in the last session, as I said, it was in half of the package, but not in the, the final package. We've been convening lately meetings of um, all of our stakeholders on Capitol Hill. So this is Senators Durbin, uh, Senator Cochran, uh, Congressman Burgess in the House, uh, Congressman Kind, um, Congressman Pete Stark, all of their staff quite cooperative in terms of getting together. Honestly, it's very difficult to get that group of folks from you know Republicans and Democrats to agree to even meet and get in the same room together at times on issues, particularly health care reform. I mean, it's a lightning rod issue right now. The Democrats are trying to push forward, obviously, by 2014 and implementing most of the provisions. The Republicans in the House are certainly looking to repeal and kill as much of that as, as possible. And I'm, I'm generalizing, but I mean, that's that basically is, is where the two groups are coming from. So you had mentioned meeting with the former um, director of the administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, Don Berwick. Um, I'm yeah. just curious, since transplantation is less expensive than dialysis, is CMS an advocate for lifetime coverage? And you know, how do they fit into this discussion? Like all folks in government, I mean, they're clear. This is not a decision that can be made by the regulatory agency. The discussions that we've had, both formally and informally, sure. I mean, there's, you know, they agree that it is more cost-effective to provide immunosuppression. And like I said, I, you know, I didn't sit in the meetings between Congressman Burgess and, and Don Berwick, but uh, we were assured from Burgess's staff that uh, it was all very positive, and that he acknowledged that uh, this is not a good way to run this uh, this part of, of CMS and, and the coverage business. So, if if only it were that simple to have the the, the agency. Uh, you know, agree and, and make make the changes. There's a fair amount of momentum right now. Um, there was a recent editorial in the New England Journal of Medicine by Tanali and Gill that really, I think, laid out both the economic arguments in favor of this legislation, but also the comparisons with the rest of the world. 
Thursday, March 8th, is World Kidney Day. World Kidney Day is going to focus on issues around transplantation. If, if you could have a call to the kidney community, to the transplant community, and you could ask them to do one thing on World Kidney Day to advance this agenda, what would that be? Contact your representatives, your senators, your congressmen. Let them know how important this is and let your voice be heard because this is just an incredibly crucial point that we, we need to get across. This is far more cost-effective to provide immunosuppression. Uh, the patients failed to graft it are returning to dialysis. There are all sorts of complicated issues to mention that they are aware of the fact that this is legislation that's you know been on the docket for the last 10 years uh, that has a lot of broad bipartisan support. And I think just urge their members, really, as Dr. Josephson said, to, to contact um, either Congressman Burgess's office or Congressman Pine's office, Senator Durbin or Senator Cochran, and ask that they uh, be uh, co-sponsors. So what we'll do, ASN, in terms of its role as being a participant in this important effort and, and being a member of the coalition and of the community, is, is obviously use the mechanisms that we have and, and sort of online pleas for our members to contact both their members of Congress as well as the the sponsors of the legislation, urging them to continue to, to lead this fight and to really do what's best for the patients and ultimately what's best economically. So I just want to thank you both for today's discussion. Thank you very much. Thank you. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology. All rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. The information in this podcast should not be used during a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified health care provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the American Society of Nephrology.